G'day, I'm Darren Oki. I'm Simon West. Welcome to the Aussie Wine Chat podcast series where we talk global distribution and sales with an Aussie perspective. And an Aussie accent. Well, this is Aussie Wine Chat. It's a live Zoom show. We normally record with a live audience, but today we're doing a pre-record uh, because our guest is from the US. Uh, Simon, do you want to introduce Chris? Sure, Darren. Um, we'd like to welcome Chris Kammer. Chris is uh, the CEO of Access Wine Service. Chris is based just out of San Francisco International Airport, um, although he's not right now. He's operating from home in lockdown. So um, welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Chris, you've been you've been in the industry for um, well, probably more than fifteen years by the look of it here, but um, eight years with your recent um, company there, and really, you like to describe yourself as winery to warehouse to US warehouse. So, That's winery right. here in Australia to the US warehouse, and you've worked with several wineries over the years, several Australian wineries over the years. So, um, we're going to ask you a, a few questions about the current environment in particular, and. Um, and have a look at, dig a little bit deeper into how you can assist wineries as well. So Sure, I'd be happy to help. Um, I think I think leading off probably talking about what's going on as far as costs in the market because, you know, when things went awry, uh, ship cancellations became the norm. There were a lot of, you know, of uh, – canceled bookings throughout the United States, throughout the world. And what the steamship lines have figured out is if we're not going to be having the volume, then we're going to be getting the rate jacked up. And all of a sudden, we're having issues on availability. And there's port congestion in the United States. Um, I just got a, a conference call with other forwarding associations. Oh, we've got a pause there. Right. That's not ideal. Problems and we're Chris, seeing rates Chris, up maybe Chris, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna interrupt you there. Um, it just paused there for some reason. So if you just go back to um, uh, where was it, Darren? The cost. Are you just talking about uh, the cost being leveraged up? Yeah, cost being leveraged up. Yeah, yeah. So just continue. So- Sure. Uh, the, the steamship lines have figured out that they're not going to be getting the volume business they once had. It has dropped significantly. Uh, we're seeing numbers around 25% of blank sailings coming into the States at the moment from around the world. This is not just affecting us, but everyone. And this, they're slowly limiting the amount of spots. And we're starting to scramble, not only uh, outbound, inbound, and not only like the Australia-USA lane, but China, Europe, everywhere. We're, we're having to pay more. We're having to get uh, the next vessel. It's it's getting a lot tougher out there. And then once the shipments do arrive in the United States, uh, we're having problems getting trucking. We are seeing delays at the port. We're seeing the ships queuing up uh, outside the port area. They are creating demand uh, the old-fashioned way by limiting in, in any way that they can. And it's really setting the supply chain back as far as what it takes from getting from origin to final destination door. Yeah, I'm seeing just from our end as well, some of the, the freight forwarding costs here, the, the, the load on fees and all the rest of it, they've had these surcharges put in place because of obviously uh, these challenges. So you're saying as well as that, then you're getting stung with freight and and warehousing, uh, sorry, warehousing uh, dock problems at the other end as well. So yeah, interesting, certainly interesting times. We don't want to scare everyone off, but um, no, these, no, these uh, are the things we've just got to be uh, aware of, I guess. Uh, you know, the beat goes on. I mean, uh, 
in our industry in logistics compliance, we're consistently dealing with challenges. If it's uh, port strikes, if it's weather, if it's uh, other legal changes that occur, if there's changes in marketplace or limitations, you know, you have to keep adjusting. And that's what, you know, importers and exporters must do as well. They just kind of roll with it and make best as they can and adjust pricing accordingly. Um, as far as the additional charges you mentioned, there has always been a constant effort from steamship lines and other vendors to try to add in fees or increase fees, but there's been pushback based on the availability of other options. But that being limited at this point, and keep in mind, a lot of the steamship lines, are, you know, the, the vast majority of them have condensed into three groups. It's getting smaller and smaller. I don't want to use the word oligopoly. Uh, in such a situation, but uh, there is limitations in the market as far as how many ship lines you can go to and what sort of pricing you can get. Hey, so the, these problems that are being experienced on the West Coast, are they similar on the East Coast or are they finding it easier to get uh, wine in over there? No, same situation over there. Um, as you might know about the uh, expansion of the Panama Canal and larger ships being able to go all the way through to the East Coast more easily than they did in the past, Savannah, Charleston, uh, Port Everglades, some of the other ports over there are doing a, a brisk business. But the same thing goes true, holds true that they're just not getting the spaces at the origin ports that they need. They're not getting on the bookings. If, if it's uh, any major port, they're still having the same challenges. Interesting. Have you seen any unusual trends during this time, Chris? Well, there's a lot of people are trying to, to figure out different options. Air freight, and particularly those that we work with that are bringing in some of the high-end wines, auction wines, and so forth, is completely non-existent. That, those rates have gone through the roof because there's nobody flying anymore. So the airlines to hold on to their positions to move the air freight for the high-end wines are taking the seats out of planes. And they're putting them in there to, to maintain those spots. Um, as far as other things that, that folks are doing, a lot more co-loading that's going on where uh, various shippers are trying to, or an importer is trying to work together to, you know, obviously reduce cost and get space and so forth. But off the top of my head, those are the few of the other things that are occurring. Interesting. Really interesting. Um, so I guess one, one, one other thing too is that from a winery point of view in Australia, they're always interested in how do I make sure the integrity of my product is maintained shipping to the US. So you've got summer over there at the moment and there's not summer there, it's summer here in the, in the flip. Um, how, do you, how do you maintain integrity by uh, insisting that the wine ships below the waterline? Uh, is that a problem at the moment with this high demand? Is that a problem to get the wine below the waterline to uh, maintain it? And also quilted containers, refrigerated containers, Tell me the lowdown on that. Well, well, Simon, I can I can say this: that probably one of the top three questions I get when I meet with my customers is talking about temperature control. Yeah. Now, first off, the question about um, the getting the the container below the the waterline that's not a problem. As a matter of fact, when we have ocean contracts negotiated with the steamship line, we always make sure to do two things: below waterline, and then secondly, away from the engine. We want away from all heat source. We, we word it in a way that they understand what we're trying to accomplish. And when they do the schematic chart, when they load the containers into the vessel, they make extra effort to not to put certain containers near each other, safety precautions. And so at that point, they know to put below the water line and away from the heat source. Right. But when it comes to other options in controlling the temperature of your freight, you've got reefer, you've got the various blankets and bagged liners, as they say that you can use. Um, 
I recall there was a sales representative that had the temperature gauges that you could put in the container and then watch it. It was, it was uh, you know, and of course the gentleman was acting like you know, we were nefarious and pulling something off on the poor customer. I always say this, if you want to protect your, your shipment's temperature, get a reefer. Yeah. Now, of course, reefers can be two, three times, if not more, and it's very tight market. Um, you don't want to go that route. You're trying to obviously make ends meet and be competitive in the marketplace on your per case cost. So then the next option is the bag. And, and I say bag, not a blanket, because the bag is almost like you insert all the wine into a big Mylar bag. And then you have an end cap that's Velcro that you seal on it. And it keeps the ambient temperature, temperature about 10 degrees cooler. I often recommend that. I also tell customers, and most people know this, have been around the business a long time, we don't want to, don't ship in the summer. Don't, yeah. you know, spring and fall is the way to go. Um, that's, that's your best times, particularly if you're going from one hemisphere to the other. Yeah, that's Chris, good advice. Chris, Chris, do you find that most Australian sellers are aware of this or that, that the Aussies are a little bit, uh, little bit casual about where their um, containers go? Well, that's, that's a great question. And, I, and the reason being is when I go to different uh, countries around the world to meet with my partners, the, the warehouses, the, the consolidators, the truckers, and so forth, some of them have, are very serious about temperature control, while others are very laissez-faire. And I have seen shipments, um, I'm not going to point out anyone in particular, but European shipments of top-end wines, that wines that are going for over $100 a bottle, going to hot destinations, being loaded on a hot day, and mm-hmm. it's just and they and I look to them to say, how is this happening? I'm I'm pro- almost in protest, and they say this is the way we've been doing it for hundreds of years, and that's kind of the explanation. So it varies from country to country and situation to situation. As far as Australia is concerned, they're pretty smart about when to ship. Um, they do like using the the bags a lot. That's that's very popular. Is is the bag liner? Um, obviously, bulk is a, is a big big trend. I've seen that from the start to where we're at today, where bulk is very significant, and they do use the bags there as well. But yeah, it's it, it's it's. I don't really I don't come across situations where people are not in the know in Australia. It seems to be one of the more uh, knowledgeable markets because it's an island and you know it's a continent, and so there everyone's involved with shipping. It's different if I'm you know if I'm working with someone like a Swiss uh, winemaker. They they're not as knowledgeable as someone from Australia. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, and and Chris, how how can you help small to medium sized wineries in Australia? Like what what services can you provide? What's your what's your niche? I guess with helping wineries. Well, we're winery to warehouse, um, and that's the Australian winery all the way to the final destination warehouse in the USA. And that could be anybody. That could be a traditional uh, wine warehouse that you go to. Most of them are in the big cities, so it's a little bit tougher if you're going to a secondary or third-level market. But you would go there, and that's where obviously the distributors are going to make the pickups. But as far as uh, the turnkey solution that we provide – most of our USA importers, what they do is they send us a purchase order and then we do everything because people that are in the wine business need to sell and market wine. That's what they need to focus on. Our job is to, is to take that work off their plate and get the purchase order, communicate with the winery, set up dates, make the ocean booking, file the ISF. As it moves along, we keep the customer engaged with, with ETAs and, 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 and so forth. We file the FDA, the customs. We get the trucking involved. We, we deliver to the final destination door, and we package it all together in one invoice with all the documents, including U.S. Customs, and send it over to them payment. We try to make it as simple as possible. Um, you know, there's different groups. There's the small, medium, large size wine folks. 
large size wine folks generally have their own in-house staff and are working directly with steamship wines for, to make their own moan deals and, and coordinate all their activities. But the small mediums are the ones that need the help. And it, it benefits them greatly to not have to worry about that part of the process. Mm, good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I, uh, just just yeah. while Simon thinks of his next question, I, I'm curious about any um, anything you've seen that's pretty weird uh, since COVID started. So I, I'm just interested in um, what some of the strange things that have happened in the last few months. Oof. Uh, well, what about China, well, Chris? You talked about China. It's just I, I, I will tell you uh, the the China market for California wines going there. That was the, I, I've mentioned in the past to many folks. It's the number one phone call we received from us five years. We would get multiple phone calls throughout the week. All kinds of folks looking to make the handshake between the USA and China. Uh, we just it was unbelievable how many people, how many phone calls, how much business is going on. We new markets and new cities like this is a city of a million people in china and the guy's telling me they've never had a, a, a an american wine in that town so it was great it was a, a great run but we have seen it decline greatly um we don't get the phone calls anymore we you know we have existing accounts but with the obviously the doubling of the tariff uh for china which is very significant it's around i guess uh off the top of my head maybe around 48 49 now it's doubled um, makes it tough to sell wine in a market like that. So things have changed. And obviously, uh, American exporters, just like Australia, are probably looking at other options, other yeah. other markets. And I do know that USA is the secondary market for Australian wines. I think we comprise maybe 15 to 20% of, the, of all wines from, from Australia come here. Um, but uh, getting back to the question, I think it was what strange things have been going on. Um, you know, alcohol in itself has really uh, skyrocketed in consumption. Uh, we keep hearing in the States, you know, that uh, everyone is drinking it up, but it's, it's changed where, what they drink. They're drinking the lower quality wines. We're, we're seeing more lower quality and more domestic. But yeah, yeah the, uh, the store, I've been to stores where like it's, it looks like it's been ransacked. Where there's, a lot, there's very little wine on the shelf from time to time. But it really has increased. We are just seeing, you know, more volumes in, in that way. But, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's tough in another way. You asked about strange things. Everyone's working from home. So if we have to sign a back of a bill of lading, if we need to get the check over to the terminal, if we need to, uh, you know, get paperwork or, or maybe a special customs computer that's tied in that you just can't get remotely – those are the big challenges and strange things that are going on. You're seeing that it's taking 25, 30% longer to get a shipment done for us on a, on a labor and logistics point of view. It, it's just everything is a little bit more tedious, tires. There's just a lot more work involved to get things moving along. Yes, working from home obviously has its benefits if I need to grab a snack. But uh, as far as, uh, you know, the work itself, it, it definitely, it's, it's more time consuming. And do you think that'll change uh, the way things are done in the future, Chris? So, for example, we've seen in online retailing a few relaxed or a bit of relaxed legislation uh, just to help the situation and, and the temporary sort of measures. But do you think uh, for the long term this might accelerate some change in your industry with that sort of thing? 
you know, that, that situation itself has ebbed and flowed for so many years. I mean, I was hearing that 15 years ago when I got in the business. It yeah. seems to be really on a case-by-case basis. And for folks that aren't familiar with the various state rules for the handling of alcohol, complex, just unbelievable amount of work that's involved for every state. And I know when I work with people, they're just like, well, I'm importing into California and I've just added another state. And they can't believe all the different regulations, rules, and expectations that go along with it. And that is for every state. It's almost like every state's a person with their own way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And what you mentioned about this, you know, the direct-to-consumer stuff, I, I still don't see the future of that happening. I still see states wanting to maintain some aspects of control. I I, I mean, I, do, I know there has been some rollback on some regulations, but I'm not sure where the future's headed, but I'm not one that's believing that the states are going to be loosening up anytime soon. I think it's just temporary. Because it's worth too much to them, Chris? Is that is that why? It, it is. And it, it was explained to me a long time ago when I got into the business that alcohol at times has attracted some unsavory characters. I, I'm not saying Al Capone yeah. or anything, but, yeah. uh, no, you know, no. I don't want to name names. But... Uh, the government makes it very strict and complicated. Many, you know, many, uh, you know, hoops and many hurdles and so forth to keep that in that place. They don't want to loosen the control of alcohol, and therefore things would not change radically at any time in the near future. And you know, government agents. I mean, I'm talking, you know, the TTB, the FDA, U.S. Customs, and folks like that. They're overseeing the U.S. inbound. They they are not uh, they're not loosening up anything. I assure you. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, um, Darren, I think we should go on to the do's and don'ts. Yeah, look, just before that, there's a question on your list, Simon, that was about getting wine straight to warehouse in the USA. Uh, yes. Let's, let's talk about that. I think um, for a lot of Australian uh, producers, it's a bit complex um, getting from port to warehouse and dealing with everything. So perhaps we should talk about that. Well, I, it, it's funny. You, you say you, you're, it's complex. It's I, obviously, I think otherwise, uh, but that's yeah. what I should be thinking. Okay, so, um, you know, if you're an Australian winery and you're trying to get some wine to, to, to the States, your greatest challenge is always going to be, you know, the customs and the compliance piece. The freight, the freight in itself is, should not be considered a challenge. Uh, it's very straightforward as far as we're picking up or sailing from Adelaide. Uh, you know, this is the arrival time once it gets to port, and it is cleared. And then you truck it on over to wherever your final destination door is. Fine. And it could be anybody. It could be a big box store. It could be, you know, as I mentioned, the, the small, you know, refrigerated spaces and so forth. But the compliance piece is always the area that folks should pay attention to, to make sure that they do have all colas. Very important because it can be a rejected entry. And when I say rejected, I mean sent back to the country of origin because mm-hmm. And we've seen so many times where uh, a shipment will come in. It says it's 860 cases of XYZ wine from uh, Winery Adelaide. But it just so happens that the guys are friends and he slipped in some uh, other Pinot Noir, some others, Cabernet, something else he put in, in there. Didn't mention it. Didn't put it on the commercial invoice. Doesn't have colas for it. Guess what? It's coming back. That's, that's something I always am very adamant about is that they always have the coals in place before sailing. We actually get that from the importer in hand before boat, boat, boat departs. Um, so we're just, big on that. Just, sorry, just the, the cola is a certificate of label approval. So it's, a, it's something you've, a process you've got to go through to get your label approved to make sure it's compliant before you can even ship. 
Yeah. Correct. And, and uh, thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah. And I, sh- I should also mention one thing, and that's right, I'm going to praise the U.S. government. Unbelievable. But they have done a great <laughs> job with the colas because years back, it would take 30, 45 days to get yeah. these labels approved, the colas. Yeah. Uh, and it was tedious, tiresome, and there was no rhyme or reason to sometimes why they might be rejected. Took a bit of effort to get this sorted out. The government knew that we had kind of a, a growth in the market with uh, – you know, with the you know all these different uh, uh, beers being produced and locally, all the alcohol—that's all the gin, scotch, whiskey. There's just been a real renaissance of of alcohol production, and they they saw this coming up, and they decided to restaff and update the computers and do everything. It takes only a couple of days now to get those colas done. Yeah. It's very quick. Um, I think in challenging times, I've seen it as long as sixty days. And if you don't have the cola and your wine is sitting at sitting at origin in Adelaide or Melbourne, wherever it's departing from, you know, a, a smart forwarder would tell the customer, don't put it on the water until, until it's ready to go. Because if it is docs required by, by U.S. Customs and you don't have those colas in hand, it could be rejected. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think we can move uh, just to finish off. Um, you mentioned earlier some do's and don'ts. What about if we just, just do some do's with four or five bullet points of very quickly skim down them and then some don'ts, some bullet points. I know, I know it's a big topic, but uh, let's, let's try and shorten it in the, in the interest of time here. We don't want to hold you up all, all night. Well, I, here, here's a big do that I talk to people about a lot, and that's do have the right group of partners in the USA to provide the services because not, not everyone's the right person for everybody. I, I would love to say I'm the right person for everybody, yeah. but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's going to be firms that specialize in large volume players. There's going to be firms that know how to handhold. And there's going to be firms that more of a turnkey introduce you to the marketplace. But I often come across folks that are kind of working with the wrong parties. They're not at the right warehouse. They didn't hire the right domestic compliance person. So do vet the folks that you're planning on working with in the USA because you, you've got your, your, your three primary folks, which is your forwarder broker, then you've got your domestic compliance person, and then you've got your warehouse. Those three, you should do put your time in. That's a big do, and make sure you've got the right one. Because I, I, I when I go to conferences and I have like a booth, I, I've been to the um, the show, uh, the symposium in Sacramento, which I think you've probably attended at some point mm-hmm. in the past. And I'd have a booth, and people would come by and they'd ask me about my competitor, or this person, or that. And I always ask, how many shipments are you doing? Where is it coming from? What are the details? And they could, at that point, I would say, yes, let me have an opportunity for that. Or I'd say, no, the booth is down over that way. Yep. Because it, 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 we have a joke we say in the freight forwarding and logistics business. If I had the right price and service for everybody, I'd be the only forwarder in the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so true. And what about the don'ts? Mm. Well, I, I, a big don't, and, and this I'm going to be careful here. I don't want to sing out too many folks. But don't go and work with a company that's a de facto middleman. Um, a lot of people I've seen, and this has really exploded in the last year or two, where they used to be an importer, exporter of, of, of wine. They're not doing it anymore. They're kind of a middleman now. What they're going to do is help you come into the United States, and they're going to show you the ropes, and they're, they're going to be the licensee. Well, there's many challenges there because if, if, it does, if the wine does take off, you're kind of got a barrier to exit to working with that said partner could be a challenge. And then on top of that, um, I'm trying to put this politely, but um, if this person was not able to get their own wine business up and going, 
you know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I, yeah, I just, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm astonished because I've been in the business a long time and I know a lot of people and then I find out they're not importing anymore, but now they're going to be helping importers. And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a middleman. How, how is that? How are you going to be competitive in a marketplace if you're going to a middleman? And, and it really, yeah, guess what? Money does rule. And when you're out pitching wine, you better have a sharp price if you want to get that business. And, uh, you know, I've been around there long enough to know, yep, sharp price really can rule the day. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more of these people with the current environment, the current economic environment. So we're going to see them rising out of the woodwork and we have to be careful, I guess. Well, you know, th- that there's going to be like somebody, and I, I knew someone, for example, there was a gentleman from Cognac, France, and his price point and his service need and the amount of people he had at origin and the way he was doing his business, I understood that was probably his best situation. Um, and I didn't, I said, okay, I can see that being a good point that this sort of turnkey person could really help you because you really need a lot of services. But for the general folks that are competing on price and they have a very competitive price point, such as Australian wine, in a lot of cases, competing with other brands from, you know, uh, from Australia, from Chile, from mm-hmm. all these effort, other countries, you got to be competitive. You need to make sure that your landed case cost is strong. You don't want to be involved in a situation where you're paying that plus you're paying a whole bunch of other stuff just because they have a license or something or some supposed know-how or yeah, know how to be a successful importer. Cool. I think that might be a wrap down. Uh, we've probably gone over our time now, but um, Chris, so. if people wanted to contact you, what's your email or would you like to give out your email address if an sure. Australian winery wants to contact you? I, you know what? Go with my easiest one, which is info at accesswineservice.com. And yeah, Access Wine Service, you can go online. We've, we've got, you know, we have websites where everywhere there, you know, obviously I'm speaking to various groups. There's all kinds of information about me and our company. Um, but yeah, uh, info at accesswineservice.com. We'd be, we'd be happy to provide quotes, information, and so forth. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Chris. A pleasure. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Darren. Pleasure, Chris. Uh, thanks for joining us again for Aussie Wine Chat. I'm Darren Oemke. You can find me on hydroconsulting.com.au and on Twitter at Darren Oemke. And I'm Simon West. You can find me at fullglass.com.au.